Welcome back to Dad So Hard. If you are listening to this, you are now officially part of Dad So Hard Nation. This is your co-host, Vinny Dunleavy. If this is your first time with us, please welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you have been here before, thank you for coming back. I can't believe it. Uh, I really appreciate it. Danny and I have been at this for four years, and we appreciate every download, every view, every comment, every like. If you are on Instagram, please follow us at Dad So Hard Podcast. If you are on Twitter, Dad So Hard Pod. And if you were just on the interwebs, you can visit us at wearedadsohard.com. Today, I am incredibly lucky to share with you the story of a longtime friend of mine, a man I've known for over 30 years, which I discovered. I thought it was 20. I'm so old. It's actually been 30 years. And he is a law enforcement officer or police officer is a better way of saying it on Long Island, where I grew up. He is the father uh, of two kids and has a journey that I think for Thanksgiving is important for everybody to hear. I think you may want to grab a tissue. We have some good laughs in this, but we also have a couple cries and the story that he tells and the journey that he's been on with his wife and his children. And I think it's important as we go to Thanksgiving to hug your family, hug your kids, be grateful for everything we have, wake up tomorrow morning. We can all try to be better in what we're doing. Life may throw at us a lot of hard shit. And I just hope for everybody that you can keep your head high and remember it can be better and it will be better. Don't get stuck in it. And I think you'll find a lot of inspiration in Bob's story. And I'm thrilled that he came here and was willing to share it with us as he already uh, shares it out there on Instagram. So thank you very much and enjoy the conversation. Cue music. Everybody, welcome back to Dad So Far. Dad So Hard. Dad So Far. It is. It is another day in the life of Vinny Dunleavy. Uh, I thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our Dad So Hard Nation of our community. Uh, we are in the middle of season four of What Makes a Hard Dad. Uh, I am exploring what it is to work hard, play hard, dad harder. And throughout this season, you're going to continue to hear stories from men that I admire, fathers who are in all cases, giving the, giving it their all in very different ways and very different walks of life. Uh, and it's going to be, uh, hopefully you're having a good time. And today I am thrilled to introduce you to another, another father. Uh, before I tell you any more, though, I do want you to make sure you go to, this is the obligatory podcast promotion. Please rate on iTunes, share. If you like what you're listening to at any given time, press pause. Tell one friend. All you have to do is tell one friend after listening to this today that they should listen to this or it could be fun for them. And we will appreciate it. You can always email me at questions at dadsohardpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on all parts of social media. And that brings me to today's father who is on social media, but more importantly, on his day job is part of the law enforcement community in this great country. But more importantly, is somebody I have known in what I would consider real law enforcement, and that's lifeguarding. And when we were just a, a youngins of 18 years old on the East End of Long Island, uh, we started uh, where there is now a thriving water park. We began our journey there. And I wanted to shoot everybody uh, a long-term buddy of my, my own, Mr. Bob Riley. Welcome, Bob. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, this, so this is like seriously a very long time coming because I think two years ago, I, we were talking about, Bob, I got to get on the podcast. And uh, we have finally, finally been able to make it work. <sighs> 
Uh, and uh, there's a lot of different guys I've been talking to. Bob is somebody who uh, knew me uh, 20 years ago and we have been in contact in the world. And I think there's some benefits. Social media can be fucking toxic at times and it can be terrible, but it also can help people keep relationships going in positive ways. So I, guess, uh, I think it was uh, 30 years ago, right? I mean, I, well, I, I, listen, if you want to say how time. real old we are, yes, it's actually, if I do my, if I'm, I was never that great in the academic spot, but technically as we are 47 years old, uh, it was 30. That's a real mind. That's blowing. crazy. Hi, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen you in so long and you look great. So we all, well, listen, I, I have kept, I have to say for a man and over the age of 45, if, if you're like me and you have a full head of hair, it gives you a good, which Bob is not, but I will get a picture of him up later. Not no hair. It does make you look, people say I look younger. I think it's the hair uh, for any dad out there. I just think if you have hair in age and I don't have great, I don't have that many grays. I do think that's the key to my success. I mean, outside I know, of maybe, the maybe there was something in the water at that uh, water park that kept us all young, you know, <laughs> there, 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 there might've been, listen, that, it is, uh, uh, that is, that is very true for anybody out there who's part of the splish splash community. Uh, it started of 20 years ago and many of those guys have all grown up to have fathers. I'm waiting to see who's actually has a kid lifeguarding there because that is where the shit's going to come real full circle. When one of us have a, has a child working there, uh, it will be amazing. So, uh, uh, so I have grown up for anybody who knows a little bit about my background, but I don't know uh, for sure if everybody does. I, have, although I am not a law enforcement, I have grown up in a family of law enforcement. My grandfather was a New York city police officer. My father was a Riverhead police officer on Long Island. Uh, my brother is a detective. And I have a cousin in uh, Florida who also is, a, a, what I've told, a very big wig in a police department down there. So uh, I'm surrounded by it. It was not a bad, it was not a game I was going to be entering. And I have a true admiration for everybody. Uh, but what I do know is that for anybody who works in, you know, first responder lifestyles, in any case, it complicates fatherhood even more. Schedules are not a normal daytime schedule it's not corporate america uh and it is and it is um it, it's a different bag uh so we're going to start there bob when you think about when you got when you were married and you had this career and you thought about kids how much thought process and conversation went on with your wife around parenting given the scheduling nightmare that is being a uh, uh somebody on, uh, on the blue line so really there wasn't much conversation as far as um, how are we going to make this work? It was just, we're going to do this and we're going to make it work. And I, I've been on the midnight schedule for the most part of my 15 year career. I would say probably 13 or so out of 15 oh. years, I, I've worked steady midnights, but that's just because the midnight schedule works. The kids, you know, I'm working while the kids are sleeping. So um you know, I, I, I dad more like a mom, uh, you know, cause I'm home. You're, cause you're so that, so you're not, you're not sleeping. So you actually, <laughs> how many hours if you're working midnights and then you're dadding in the morning. So, cause you are then getting them up dressed out the door. How, how often do you sleep? What's your hourly, what's your sleep rate on an hour on a week that you're working? On a well, I, I haven't slept in 13 years. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't, not, I'm going to, I can't I wait. Say, you're like five and a, you probably get five. You probably function on five and a half hours. Yeah, it's it's about that. So my um, okay. you know, my wife's here in the morning, but she leaves around eight, eight fifteen. Yeah. And the girls get on the bus. My son gets on the bus super early because he's in middle school now. So yeah. he gets on the bus super early. He gets on the bus like six fifty, six fifty five. Um, but the girls get on the bus at eight, like forty. 
And uh, my wife usually leaves around eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm just getting home from work at seven 30 yep. and diving right into dad mode, you know, barely get my uniform off. And I am, you know, breakfast and, you know, making sure their bags are together and whatnot. And then, you know, walking them down to the bus, take the dog for a walk. And then I come back and I usually, I usually pass out sometime around like nine 30. Yep. And then uh, my son gets home around two 30. So I'm up at two. And then you're pulling right back into it. So let's, I want to get, I want to, let's go. We're going to go back 20 years on this. Then, When you grew up, what kind of talk, can you talk a little bit about your own relationship with your mother and father in terms of like the, the, the home you grew up in? What was that? What was that? What did that experience look like in terms of giving you a model of, of fatherhood that you're, you, you potentially are either modeling or going in another direction on? Um, I would say probably going in another direction. Uh, my parents split when I was about 10. Uh, um, but I, I, I remember, you know, my mom, she's, she's the greatest human being on the planet. Yep. Um, she sacrificed so much for my brother and I, she also worked, uh, midnights when I was younger. Um, I, I guess probably when I was an early teen, cause I was old enough to, to, yeah. You know, watch my brother and, and get us off to school in the morning and whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I had, I had a very, very good relationship with my mom and my dad. Um, but you know, have them, them splitting off when I was about 10 ish was, uh, you know, I thought it was difficult, but it was difficult. You know, I, 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 you know, yeah, hundred percent. So do you think that formulated as you became an adult then in your twenties and you're thinking about getting married, were you in terms of like, is divorce can trauma divorce? I think kids that divorce can go a lot of different directions. Yeah. It traumatizes and can be debilitating or it traumatizes, but you, there's a learning and a growth that comes out of that. How much of that then? Cause you seemingly in the world of, uh, of your life with your wife and your kids are read as very well adjusted. So in the world of taking the trauma and making it work for you, can you talk a little bit about like that thought process of what you did to say, you know, when I was being a husband and then a father, I'm going to purposely try to either be better or not, or do something different than what was my own experience. Yeah. Well, not, and not that my dad was a, a bad dad. He yeah. just, um, you know, I had, he was my idol when I was young, you know, he literally was the smartest person I knew. I mean, the smartest guy and he and people that, you know, my dad was also a police officer. He served Suffolk County for 37 years. And anybody I come across is always like, oh, you're Doug's son. He was the smartest guy I ever met. You know, so it's a nice compliment. And, you know, to this day, I'm 46 years old. And to me, anytime I have a problem or a question or anything, I pick up the phone and call my dad because he's just still the smartest guy I ever met. Yeah, uh, hands down, it's just nobody beats him. He's just the smartest guy, and that you know, I just I remember how and like when I was a kid, even just asking a, a silly question like, "Dad, why does why does the moon not crash into the Earth?" and like he would just answer everything. He just answered everything, and I, you know, Dad, why is this dirt stuck under my finger now? You know, like he would just <laughs> he never didn't have an answer. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he could have made up half the stuff. I don't know. <laughs> totally, he yeah. Always, he always had an answer and it always satisfied me where I was like, all right, that makes so much sense. You know? So to me, he was the smartest guy in the world. Um, my, I, you know, I, I definitely think if, if things were different and my parents stayed together, 
I think my relationship with my dad would be a lot different than it is today. I mean, you know, my, my dad's a great man. And, uh, you know, he, um, I don't really know how to put it. He, <clears throat> he's always, he's always been there without being there, you know? So, yeah, yeah. but it would have been nice to grow up under the same roof as him, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that's a regret, but that wasn't a choice I made. That was a choice he made. And that, you know, but it, it sounds like from both of your parents, they both be, had a work ethic that role modeled like you. There's a part of it where it's like you work, but they also in the time that they could be with you were also giving in the world of maybe he didn't give you as much time, but he did answer those questions like in the world of what they did gave, which, which, which sort of informs a little has to be informing what your approach is now. So like as because I think about it as a police officer. And a guy and in the world of like, you know, there's things we there's discussions out there like toxic masculinity or the traditional world of masculinity. You're you're in a profession in particular where there's a lot of guys, you could argue, are, are more in that traditional mode of like, I go to work, my wife's probably maybe potentially at home, and I come home and I go back to work and I sleep, and I'm not necessarily involved. Like there's and I deal in corporate America, I deal with that a lot too. There's guys who like they're like wives run the house and they're just like, I get a paycheck and that's all they do. And they choose to yeah. sort of and there's a little bit of, I, in my opinion, is there's a choice to not as be involved. Right. Do you, do you find sort of that in the, do you find more and more you're finding less of that when you go to work and you talk about your kids? Or do you find you're in a world where guys more and more you're finding out you, when you say something about like your son or your daughter, they're like, oh my God, my kid too. Like, is that a conversation that, or is it still like you're a little bit on an island as a unicorn when they see you doing so much with your kids? No, I mean, a lot of the guys I work with are great guys. They're great cops. Yeah. They're great fathers. But, you know, I would say a lot of the guys, their wives don't work. And so those guys, yeah, their wives are running running the house. And because there's not a second salary there, those guys are working a lot of overtime. So they're yeah, always just, at work. They're these guys that are just there all the time. Yeah. And, you know, their kids might be a little bit older where, you know, if they have a 17 year old son, that guy's not hanging out with dad every day. So <laughs> you know, I might as well. Wait, what, what, what do you mean? A 17 year old son doesn't want to hang out with a 52 year old father. I'm shocked at that news. I am shocked, shocked that a teenage kid doesn't yeah. want to hang out with a 50 year old. Well, boy. my son's my son just turned 12 and for 11 and a half years, he was my best friend and was always by my side and, I feel like I'm getting cut off to the friends now, you know, he's, he's, he's in middle school big time. So well, um, that, I believe that is why you built a pool in your yard. So now you yeah. can have the him come over with his friends and still be involved. There is this yeah. world of living vicariously to your kids. Yep. Like, yep. yo, I, I need to see you so I can experience this part of it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Um, but yeah, to answer the question, a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys that I work with, um, there, there's a good portion of them where their, their wives work and they, they do the same thing I do. You know, they, they are, they're hustling at work and then they're hustling at home. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're going right from cop mode and taking that uniform off in the morning or in the afternoon or yeah. whatever, if they're working a day shift and they're getting right into it with the kids, you know, but you so, find that, but in that regard, it, it's like, it's a, it's a purposeful choice to do the work. And I think that's to me where I, 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 I think we have to get to a place where we're, we're living the work-life balance that we want to live for the life we want to have with our kids. So that if you are like, to me, I'm not going to begrudge somebody who's a CEO making $10 million a year, who sees their family for two hours. Yeah. If that's the choice for the way they want to live and the, and the life he wants to give his kids, 
if that's the choice you make, I say do it. But if you're doing it because you feel like you have to because of society, I think that's where it's this idea of how much is it because you need to do it for how much you want to provide, how much money your family wants to make. You know, there's things yeah. you have to do to go on a vacation. Yeah. And um, I, I think, you know, and because my wife works and, and you know, she's she's gone from like 8, 8.15 in the morning till about 6, 6.15 at night. So she's gone and that's Monday through Friday. So, and my schedule rotates. I do four days on 10 yeah. hours and I have four days off and I do another four days on 10 hours. So my, my, my work week is, is always eight days because I do four days on and I have four days off. So it's a weird eight day rotation where sometimes I'm off during the week. Sometimes I'm off on the weekends. Sometimes I'm off on Christmas. Sometimes yep. I'm not. And how do you, in terms of that schedule with, with your kids, how do you have that conversation? How do you have your conversation to explain that to their kids? Because I would think most of their friends, it depends on what, what the friends in school, but uh, there aren't, it's not like it's the most common having uh, parents who work crazy schedules like that is the most uh, common thing. Do they get, is it a week? Do they like, do they love it? Because it, sometimes they get to see you more because you have a crazy schedule or sometimes they get to see you less, or is that a weird, is that a, is that just not something that ever comes up? I would, well, it doesn't really come up often. I mean, sometimes it comes up when it's like, you know, if I go into work Friday night and I come home at seven 30 in the morning, uh, Saturday morning and the kids are up and they say, can my friend so-and-so come over in an hour to play? I'm like, daddy's got to go to bed. Like it's weird for them. Like I'm going to bed when the sun is up. So yeah, like, yeah. You know, but it's it's one of those things where like, you know, I can't have a bunch of kids in the house like going crazy. And like that would be like, you know, having them over at three o'clock in the morning. You know, it's like when when normal people sleep. So it's like, nah, not today. You know, I, I, gotta, good I, I don't sleep. think I've ever thought of it that way because it is a good comparison. Uh, yes, it would be like you're, you're coming home at eight o'clock for those parents who work those overnight shifts. Yes. Having your friends have a play date at 10 a.m. while you're sleeping is like completely like a 4 a.m. party. That's totally. Uh, it's um, all the time. Yeah. And you know, sometimes a- like I get like phone calls, you know, at noon and I'm like, who's calling me? It's like 4 a.m. to me. It's 4 a.m. to this person. It's noon. I'm like, why are you calling well, me? And I will say on the flip side, uh, having relatives who do work overnight shifts sometimes, what I like to remind them of when they're at work at 4 a.m., that means I may be sleeping. So uh, it is not the appropriate hour to set yeah. to to blow my phone up with text messages. And right. those people who do it, who are who may or may never listen to this, know who they are. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it, you know, uh, being the recipient of the 5 a.m., 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. text message or phone call when somebody else is working. I'm like, yo, I got to sleep, too, guy. Um, yeah. Um, so switching topics. And one of the things I wanted, uh, I told you this earlier and I want to uh, have you share because I think it's an important subject. And I've been impressed with how you've handled it is that in the world of, of different things, parents go through that are extremely difficult because life is hard and it's a roller coaster. Uh, but you, you had a daughter tragically pass away now eight years ago. Um, and what I, uh, what I have admired about it is that you have always been open about what happened and sort of at the time, the pain. And I don't even think I realized it was eight years ago in my mind. It felt it, it felt so fresh because I think you do a lot to keep the memory of her alive and you share it. And uh, my mother passed away three years ago suddenly. And I think death for kids, especially when you have little kids in the household, it, it has a different kind of trauma as a as a, as an adult. So and I think we're always you're sort of not really prepared for a parental death, but that's a different thing. Um, can you first talk about what 
what happened because I think this is a, I want to take a minute to have this conversation uh, because it was more than just a miscarriage. And I think I spoke to somebody a couple of weeks ago about how just, you know, there's a lot of shame that women carry around, even when they have miscarriages and, and, and that you feel like you failed as a parent. And I think it, it's not, has nothing to do with that. There's all, there's so many things out of your, out of our control, but can talk, uh, talk a little bit about what happened to Fallon and, um, and then, you know, think about that. What, how did, what was your approach to managing the grief and why you felt compelled to sort of at least share to reach out for the help and support? So, at, you know, at first, so Fallon was, uh, you know, we, we had my son, Avery, and, and then uh, Harper, and they're about 20 months apart. And then Fallon was, was um, in 2013, she was born. Um, she was, she would have been, she was just over two. So Harper was just over two years older than her. So uh, totally normal pregnancy. There was nothing going on. Full term pregnancy. Uh, she was scheduled to be born by a C-section on October 11th. And she came a day early. Um, she was born at 4.44 a.m., uh, which is uh, why those numbers are important to us. And they circulate a lot. And I'm sure you've seen me yep. post them on social media and stuff. Um, those are kind of just, it's just one of those reminders, but, you know, without getting into it, if, if anybody wanted to look up the meaning of four, 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 it means surrounded by angels. It has a lot of spiritual, uh, connection. So, um, so anyway, she was born at four forty four. Everything seemed completely normal. And about 45 minutes after, uh, she was born, she started making these grunting noises, which kind of, you know, wasn't the biggest deal but the nurses were like all right let's monitor this. she's making some grunting noises grunting for a baby is their their only way to really grunting or crying is their only way to yeah. say they're uncomfortable and she wasn't crying because she wasn't in any kind of pain but she was grunting because she was uncomfortable so they started to um you know measure her oxygen levels and stuff and it just wasn't it wasn't where it needed to be so they made the decision now she was born in southampton they don't have a NICU. Um, so she was, uh, they, they made the decision to transport her to Stony Brook, which is another total disaster because they, they, because my wife just had a C-section. They didn't want to move my wife, but I'm like, you oh. cannot separate. You can't separate the Terrible. baby yeah. from the mom. Like, this is insane. Like, and it was a fight to get my wife transferred yeah. to Stony Brook. Healthcare know? hospitals. If you are, it is, it is, it is a fight. You have to fight and fight and fight the system, fight the system everywhere you can for yourself. You know, it was one of those things, too, where I, I wasn't I wasn't scared. I didn't think I, I didn't think anything was really yeah. happening. You know, it was, it was very, very surreal. Um, and, it, you know, because they were putting up such a fight, like I got into like, if you don't transport my wife to the same hospital as yeah. our new baby, we're going to have a major problem here. Like I'm going to land a helicopter on the roof and make it happen. So yep. you do it or I'm doing it. Like it was like that. You it's, know? You're like it's that. happening. Yep. <clears throat> so I'm like, do you know who I am? <laughs> At that, well, listen, that's when you're a police officer. There's times uh, we've, I've leveraged that in my family. We had that. Yeah. Some things you got to take it when you can take it when it comes in hand, take it when it don't, comes in hand. Don't make me steal that police helicopter. <laughs> on the roof, you know? I don't know how to fly the thing, but let's go. So, um, so eventually it happened, you know, Fallon was transported. Then my wife was transported a little yep. bit later. 
Um, but she had uh, something called uh, alveolar capillary dysplasia, which, which basically in the short is, is a uh, lung disorder. It's an oxygen lung disorder. And her, her blood oxygen levels just were not enough to sustain life. And this isn't something that, the, and the only way you can really tell is by uh, uh, you know, a biopsy of the lung, but you're not gonna, you know, if you have a totally healthy pregnancy, you're not just gonna biopsy a section of lung during the born. pregnancy. Right. So there's no, there you was, know? in terms of all the genetic testing, because nowadays I think you, when you're, for a guy who's never had a baby before, you're, you're, you go in the first three months, you're like, oh, well, just keep the baby for three months. Then they do the genetic testing. And a lot of it is, it feels like a lot of it is still for more either Down syndrome or uh, yeah. some, ver like it's like more hardcore genetic stuff to make sure there's no ab physical abnormalities, which this never would have been. This is one of those. It was nothing. It was a needle on a haystack. Oh. Yeah, it was completely, completely normal pregnancy. And, and um, yeah, it wasn't until, you know, it was about half hour, 45 minutes later where she started kind of getting a little, a little weird. And then that's when they made the decision to transport her. Um, and then, uh, so uh, not that I was in, embarrassed, but like I had these two perfect children, you know, prior. Yeah. And, and then Fallon came and, and at first I, like I didn't, I didn't want to, I don't know, alarm friends or alarm family by putting on social media. You know, obviously I, I, I posted a picture of her when she was first born and said this. Is and then when things started going wrong, I, I kind of was like in the mindset of like, you know, I could use a little prayer right now, you know? So I yep. threw it out on social media, like, Hey, not really sure what's going on, but uh, Fallon needs to go to Stony Brook to the NICU, you know, say a prayer kind of thing. I, I yeah. wasn't dire at that point. Um, but it is a, it's, it's a, I, I find at a moment where, and you, because it was your third child, you had gone through those moments of joy Yeah, where you're like, wow, I'm having a baby. And I, it, to me, it's, it's a real <laughs> head case because you're, you have all these other people also texting you. Like I remember when my kids were in there, they texted me, not my wife. Cause they didn't want to disturb her. How's everybody going? So you're also going from a world of nobody's disturbing your wife. You're, yeah. you're, you're already feeling that intensity of Bob, how's it going? How's it going? And, and, and when it does go a little sideways, you just, you, you sort of stop. I would imagine you're stopped in your tracks to go, uh, what do I do? But you felt at least with the community of your friends, you felt it was, you, you had, you felt comfortable enough at least saying, I need some help here. Give me a, everybody send, send, shoot a prayer and we'll keep it. Yeah. Close. And you know, it was one of those things, either do it and do it full blown or just keep quiet about it and keep your cards close to your chest and, and, you know, uh, keep it within your family. And I, I, I went full blown. Like I was posting uh, long, probably drawn out long winded updates. On oh, you went full, you went, you went, you went yeah. full blown blog. I mean, you could, I mean, it no. could be a book. I could, uh, to me, you could easily write a book about the spirits. It was tremendous. Yeah. I, um, you know, I was, I was kind of trying to, paint the picture for everyone else, what I was seeing, you know, and, uh, it really, it was, Vinny, it wasn't easy, but it, it was, it was something that actually helped, me, you know, cause there were some, there were some times in the hospital when the doctors were like, I need you to leave the room. And I would oh. go sit out in this waiting room by myself for a few hours. So what was I going to do? I went on social media and I said, look, Here's an update. What's going on with Fallon? The doctor said this. This doctor said that. They're flying in a special, you know, whatever it was, you know. So, it kind of gave me something to do. So to to backtrack a little bit, 
and go into um, uh, to kind of get into the, the the meat and potatoes of it. You know, uh, Kristen and Fallon were both at Stony Brook on day one, basically, and somewhere overnight on day two, uh, Fallon took a, a turn, and and the the doctors there just had no idea. They just they they had no idea, and they said, "Look, we we need to get her on this." ECMO machine, which is basically, basically you're, you're tapping into an artery in the neck and you're circulating the blood through this machine. The machine oxygenates the blood because she couldn't do it. Her her lungs could not oxygenate her blood enough. So the machine would do it and pump it back in. So, and you can only really use the ECMO machine once because once you tap into that artery, that artery is basically dead like yeah, 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 yeah. you have to um so so they they said it's dire that that she gets on on this and there was there was one in um nassau county at maybe lij i, I forget which hospital yep. but it, but that machine was taken the next closest one was columbia in the city so she had to get uh rushed to columbia the next day that day oh. they basically said that she's yeah. got a few hours to live like she was just hanging on oy, oy. which was really really we we actually and this is you know kind of sad but like i called my uh one of my closest friends my college roommate uh his name's orist and I, I i called him and just asked him <clears throat> asked him if he'd be the godfather because we had to get her you know we get her baptized yeah, she, she had to get baptized right there at Stony Brook, you know, just in case she yeah, yeah. didn't make it, you know. So so I called him up and I couldn't even get through the conversation, you know. Um and uh it, it was it was so dire, you know, Columbia was like with traffic two and a half hours away, you know. Oh, try, yeah, and get over the, uh, try getting over yeah. the GW bridge in 20 minutes. It ain't happening. No, <laughs> Every, the, the New York tri-state area, these things, 50 miles so, could be four hours. Yeah. So oh. you're talking Stony Brook University all the way up North Shore. Yeah. You know, going west all the way to uh, into into the city. So because it was such a dire thing and they're like, we, we need to get her there about an hour ago. Yeah. Um, I made a couple of quick phone calls and a couple of people I knew made some phone calls. And next thing you know, we had a full police escort with the ambulance all all the way into all the way into the city and you know i i work for suffolk county um you know my brother works for nassau county and uh, a couple friends work for nypd and the way this was cool and again this was unbeknownst to me because i just made a quick phone call and said hey can we just get an escort to the lie you know Yeah, yeah yeah And the Stony Brook University police, they, they blocked up the intersection. The ambulance went through. Next thing I know, like we got all these police cars. My buddy, uh, Joe, who is on my squad, he works midnights with me. He's, he stayed over after working and did it on his own time. And, and he drove because I couldn't drive. I was like, a yeah. mess, you know, so he followed the ambulance. And, and I just remember how surreal it was like being in this because we never stopped moving. There was no traffic because of, of this situation, blocking off entrances and exits and all this stuff. And I, I remember well, it's so when, crazy that in this large area, you're talking about a place where there's only two hospitals for yeah. a population of like 20 million plus people of children. Like this is crazy. one of those rare 
yeah. it's heightened by the fact that it's not just like a normal problem of a baby that you're trying to survive. This is like this extreme, rare, rare, rare case of what do you do? Yeah, an exactly. Oh. And I, I remember how, how, how surreal it was when, and now I, I, maybe it was the 59th Street Bridge. I forget what, what it was, but we were going over the bridge and I'm looking around and I'm like, how is there not a car? I couldn't yeah. believe not a car. And it was because the NYPD had every entrance and exit blocked off from us. There wasn't yeah. a car. We just flew right into the city. I mean, I couldn't believe it. So, you know, to say, you know, we're a brotherhood, we're, we're a brotherhood, you know. Yeah. And um, man, I don't want to get choked up here. When we got to the hospital, pulled right around the back, found came out and uh, there's all these NYPD cops, NASA cops, some of my my buddies, my sergeant was there and I got out and it was like just hugs and like, we got you, man. Yep. And uh, it, it was it was pretty crazy. So, you know, we head upstairs real quick and um, there's one doctor, the younger guy, super, super confident. And uh, he just said, look, you know, I, I need I need permission from you to do this. Yep. If if we don't do this, she's probably not going to make yep. it. And he said, um, you know, I can't guarantee anything. She might not even survive the surgery. It's a major. I mean, we're talking about tapping into, you know, a, a baby that's a day old, tapping into her, her main oh. artery in her neck, you know. And uh, I said, yeah, do what you got to do. You know, and a couple hours later, you know, and this is this is again where like I had so much downtime. I'm sitting there by myself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and. You know, I, I kind of posted some updates on social media and I was get flooded with text messages and this and that. And when I say by myself, I, I got to I got to backtrack a little. Um, my sergeant had uh, stayed there uh, the entire day with me um, and he didn't have to do that. And I'll... When your when your wife is still back in the hot, your wife at this she's, point is still in Stony Brook. She's still in Stony Brook. She just had a C-section, which yeah, is a major she had, surgery. Which is, so yeah, and she, she had she a baby. She had a baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she had to recover herself. Right. I mean, so she needed a little uh, bit of recovery time. And uh, my my sergeant, uh, Bobby McDonald, he, he stayed with me the, the entire day. He's he's retired now, but I'll, I'll never, ever forget what he did for me just by just by being there. Yeah, yeah. You know, because if he would have left, I would have been there by myself all day. And um, my uh, my best friend, my 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 good buddy, Oris, who's the godfather of Fallon, he uh he lives down He at the time he lives in North Carolina. Now at the time he lived in, uh, in DC and later that afternoon, he walked through the door. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Anyway. Um, he, uh, he walked through the door and, and it was probably the greatest surprise of my life. And uh, yeah, he walked over and he gave me a big hug and I, I couldn't believe he <clears throat> drove up from DC. And I don't, I don't know how fast he was going, but I <laughs> felt like I just got off the phone with him to ask him to be the godfather. Yeah, he, had, like, his own, he had his own police escort. And like, you know? yeah, and like four and a half hours later, he's hugging me. Like yeah. it was just, you know, uh, that was probably one of the kindest yeah. thing somebody ever did you know it was, it was uh, and and he's such a solid guy and it was it was nice to have yeah. have him there um but he you know he wanted to see his goddaughter and he wanted to be there for his friend yeah. so it was uh it was it was really nice but it, it was it was 
a very scary couple hours because like I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for mm. the doctors to come out and say something. And uh, the doctor came out and he said, look, your daughter, this girl's going to fly one day. Like she mm. made it through the surgery with flying colors and she looks great. The ECMO treatment is working like mm. Her color was so bizarre when they transported her. I'll never forget that. But like when I got to see her, she had almost too much color because she just went through this major surgery. She was all swollen. Yeah, she's she, 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 she going from not having oxygen in her body and her blood yeah. to now getting zoomed yeah. up with it. I, 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 uh. So, so anyway, so she she was she was there for eleven days in Colombia, and um, what was really really difficult about that whole thing and not not once did i ever think she wasn't making it out of that hospital you yeah, know? yeah you never think that you know you, you think okay this what's the next step to get her home yeah, you know yeah. and at the time my wife was still in um in stony brook because you know they, they can't just keep moving her around she just had a major surgery she just had you know a c-section okay. and, you, and you're and all, just, you're also living two hours east of this hospital if not right more. Exactly. And I got two little kids at home. That yeah. Thankfully, my my in-laws, you know, jumped on that case real quick and uh, were able to, you know, help out and, and watch yeah. them. And um, yeah, uh, my wife developed severely high blood pressure through this whole oh. ordeal. So that kept her in the hospital longer than she wanted. Oh. She was oh. she was in there for for a while. She didn't get to see Fallon. For, I mean, at probably seven days. Like it was I, I, crazy. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. So. And then and that was that that was my that talk about dad so hard. I was dadding to the to the limit. Like there could n- not be any more dad in me at that yeah, point. Yeah, because, you're being stretched in every direction. Yeah. My how my, are you at the, at the time? How are you communicating? I'm an oversharer, not only probably on social media, but in my own house. And my wife always yells at me what not to say to kids. What were you saying? I, I I got I got you're putting it out there on social media for the support and the prayers, which is going to be good for you and your wife. What are you saying to your kids at this point? Are they just like because they they're old enough to know there was a baby coming? Yeah, and they were expecting to to see. Are, were they asking questions? Were you just going like it's fine, something's happening? Well, I, so Harper was two, Avery was four, and I, I just told them Fallon was sick. She's uh, just in the hospital. She's sick. I, I didn't want to make get them scared of hospitals yeah, yeah. in general. Where if they, you know, I said, you know, she's she's severely sick. It's not yep. just like she's got a bellyache because I didn't want them to be like, oh, man, if I get sick, I'm going to go to the hospital. It's going to be, you know, so that's a thoughtful thought. That's a very thoughtful approach to it because there's a lot to. Yeah, it was it was a balance mm-hmm. to explain to them. Um, but, you know, at the time, like they they didn't uh, I guess it didn't hit them that far, you know, two and four. They were just yep. really excited to sleep over at grandma and grandpa's, you yeah, know, yeah, like. Yeah. So, but it was a little, it was a little weird because they, they never actually got to meet Fallon because, um, uh, where she was in the NICU, there was other NICU babies there and hey, stuff going on and, um, and they, you know, couldn't get bring germs in there. You know, there was so many rules, like you could only have one visitor at a time. So like, uh, it was one COVID visitor, before it was COVID rules before COVID rules. Yeah, yeah it, it was. You know, just because there were so many other fragile, yeah, yeah. fragile babies in that room that they didn't want a chance bringing any germs or anything in. So like, you know, when my in-laws came to visit, you know, I would take one in at a time to visit with Fallon and explain what was going on and then take them back out to the waiting room and then bring the other one in. New York City NICU is hardcore. You're not going to get a heightened sense of emotion or anything else in the world than in that environment. 
So for, for many days there, my, my day would consist of, you know, getting up at like 5 a.m. And my mother-in-law or father-in-law would come over because my kids were sleeping and yeah. they would wait. They'd wait till the kids got up to give them breakfast. But I'd, I'd head to Stony Brook to visit my wife and see if she needed anything. Do you need new clothes? you need yeah, yeah. toothbrush, whatever? And check on her blood pressure and all that stuff and just, you know, see what was going on. Then I'd head from Stony Brook two hours west into Columbia and I would spend the entire day with Fallon. And at like 10 o'clock at night, I would leave and head back to Stony Brook, see if Kristen needed anything or if she didn't and she was sleeping or whatever, I just head home and go to bed and do the same thing the next day. So that was like, you know, commuting back and forth. And I just stayed there, you know, stayed by Fallon's side. Um, You know, I I would, I would pat her chest because she, it really calmed her down. If I just had this little rhythm where I would just pat her, I would pat her chest for hours, hours and hours and hours till my arm was going to fall off. I would just pat her chest because it, it it actually calmed her down. And when, when I was patting her chest, her like oxygen levels would change. Like things yeah, yeah, because change. you're you're moving that you're moving the, you're moving the organs when <laughs> you're doing it. It's like so baby CPR. It, yeah, it was it was uh it was pretty surreal. But again, I never I never thought she was gonna not make it out of that hospital, you know. So um and and posting it on social media just it just it helped me cope by explaining to other people what was going on. And and yeah. you know, it actually helped out a lot because a lot there was people that I was friends with that are nurses or this or that, that chimed in with some advice or like somebody messaged me and said, Hey, just so you know, there's a, a Ronald McDonald house right down the road. I know somebody, blah, blah, blah. And then another person said, and, then, and that to me is the positive part of social media yeah, is that exactly it, there's a way to get help. And I think when you're in hospitals, my, my father had a, recently was hospitalized and you go, and there's just a lot of you're that you're trying to navigate a world that is extremely complicated to navigate and while you're doing it while you're in the middle of feeling your own emotional trauma is 10 times is is just a nightmare so now when you go through this then and bring me through then when she passes like how what are the next six months like when you now you're faced with she's not coming out and we have to figure out a way to i have to figure out a way to emotionally take care of myself my wife, my kids, my family, what, with that moment, what did that, what were you going, what were you thinking? So, so I guess, I guess a lot of my grief, I hid for a while. I hid it deep inside, you know, um, you know, because I, I got the, how are you doing this? You're carrying your family on your back. You're so strong. How are you doing this? Like, this is crazy. Like, who are you, you know, type of thing. And, 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 you know, inside I was crushed. I was, I was devastated. Yeah. You know, when she took her last breath, I felt it. I felt her leave that room, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I never got to, I never even got to hold family, you know, not once, you know, Kristen was able to hold her and feed her. She was able to bottle, bottle feed her. Cause one, there was one day where the doctors were like, Oh my gosh, she's doing great. They took her off the ECMO, yeah. which, you know, it's not that it was a mistake, but you take it off. You can't do it again. Cause you can't tap into the other artery yeah. because then you lose that artery. So like they took her off thinking she was progressing what she was, but it was because of the ECMO that she was progressing, you know? Yeah. Um, but there was, there was a day there where, where Kristen had got out of Stony Brook and was able to help uh, feed Fallon. And, um, and I, I just, I never got to hold her when, when she was basically at the end, it was about, you know, one o'clock in the morning, uh, on October 21st. 
And, um, you know, the doctor said, look, you know, we, we can keep doing CPR every time she codes out, but it's, it's not doing it, you know, like, and it's just causing her a lot of pain. So, you know, what do you want to do here? And that was when we had to make the decision. Like if, if she started to fade again, not to, you know, resuscitate her. And, and that was a, that was a very, very hard decision because you never know, you know, but they, they oh. ended up taking all the tubes and tape and wires off her and they gave her to my wife. And my wife was able to hold her baby with no wires and tubes and nothing. And it was really, really nice. And I remember my wife had kind of asked me like, you know, do you want to hold her? And I just kept thinking we had more time. You know, I said, no, yeah. you, you, I got to spend way more time with her this whole week while you were in the hospital than you did yeah. so spend a little time with her and i'll take her in a few minutes and we didn't have a few minutes you know that was it and she took her last breath in my wife's arms oh. and I, I never got to hold her and you know, i remember the doctor after asked you you want to hold her and i said i, I don't want to hold her now like yeah. i you know i wanted to but i didn't want to you know like so it the next you know burying her was was the hardest we buried her on october 24th and to watch that tiny little casket go into the ground and pick out a plot like these are things you're doing for your child like it was yeah you know this girl was supposed to grow up being you know so close to her sister harper only two years apart and be you know best friends and and you know watching that little casket go into the ground was really really hard so like my wife and i did go to um like grief counseling for a few sessions, but then like Christmas happened and it, it just got backed up and then we just never went back. We went a yeah. couple of times and to be honest with you, that, or maybe it helped her, but it, it, it didn't do anything for me. I just kind of sat there and, and thought about the things I think about all day long anyway. Yeah. So it didn't really, really help me too. Much. I also have to imagine it happened. So you you probably were in, still in shock. Like, I think like, I, I feel like my mother died three years ago. I, uh, I probably need to go through grief counseling now, but I, cause I think it only, only shock it. And I don't even know if I'm still over the shock of it. Um, uh, and I think uh, managing the grief is probably the hardest part. And I, and I, it's interesting because when you said people were saying to you, you look at everything you're doing yeah. and you're, you're being, it almost, you don't want to then become a failure yeah. by saying you need the help emotionally because you want to make sure everybody else has the emotional help, but at some point you also need that emotional help. And I think sometimes you, I felt for myself, like I suffered in silence and would have my own moments. And, um, and that, that sort of, is hard. I mean, I've now to the point now where I've always been a cry baby. I cry now all the time and I cry for my kids and I let my kids see, and I let my kids see me cry. Cause I don't think it's not man. I do not play the game of it is not manly to cry. It is part of the human condition. Yeah. And sometimes you need to do it to heal and it's part of the healing process. Um, but it took a while to get there to do it with somebody. Well, I cried three stuff. times since this started. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll be I'll be crying all day. Uh, uh, but like then. So when you thought about your healing and you think about your grief, because I think what's been remarkable is sometimes when especially when you hear a lot of stories of women have miscarriages. And I think you never hear of a man ever talking about their wife having a miscarriage. My wife, we had a lot of small ones and like the first like start and stop miscarriages, not a full blown post three yeah. months, but within that. And we've, we will share, we talk about it, uh, but you don't hear guys talk about it. And I even think when, 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 when a lot of people lose children at a very young age, whether they're stillbirth, it, it's, 
it, it to some degree the human condition it's easy to almost pretend nothing happened and you just want to sort of bury it and it's and yeah but i, I what i'm uh, what i love about the idea of and my wife's jewish and a lot of in jewish religion there's a lot of talking about the person when on their on the anniversary of their death keeping their memory alive telling yeah. their stories because that is part of the experience we have and i love what you do in going out there every year and not only educating people that diseases like this exist and shit like this can happen to you yeah but like also celebrating the memory of her life that was although it was short she was there still in your life and she had an impact on it and will always have an impact on it and there's that there's a positive side you've been it feels like there's a way to take it take this trauma and tragedy and figuring out a way to have it fuel uh, uh, your life in a way that can adds to your life now and that it's not something that you anybody in your family needs to be ashamed about or, or embarrassed it's about it's part of the condition of what your family was like and it somehow can be additive to that experience right and that I, but i don't think that's you do it bravely and, and, and i think in a real way i don't think that's easy um but i'm i'm just uh i'm a I admire it and am fascinated by it in a, in a, in a weird way. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I'd be that strong. I got the strength you have in it to me is where it carries through because you also have that intensity. You, the, the, what I see your intensity here is also what carries through in other parts of your life with your family. And your, like it's not just a, uh, an outlet for your emotions. Cause you still actively are hugely engaged with your other kids yeah. and it, you did not let it. It doesn't feel like you've let it necessarily taken away and consumed you or grief can do that to a lot of people and it can tear families apart these kind of tragedies yeah you have allowed you have allowed it to still keep your family functioning in a very healthy way right that i mean that's sort of the a grief counselor would probably say you guys are doing enormously well given the situation you were thrown I, into I, I hope so um yes i for for a while there and it was months later um, I was really, really hurting inside. And, and, you know, I, I kind of, uh, went into a little dark place, uh, mentally, yeah. but, you know, physically I was still doing all the things and wearing a smile every day, but mentally I just was in a pretty dark, pretty dark place. You know, it, you know, losing a child is, you know, you, you, you especially when anniversaries come, cause like, you know, she would have been eight, uh, just yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And to think of, you know, having an eight year old running around here, like it just, you know, it, it just, but for the first couple of years, when I would go visit her at the cemetery, I would cry a lot. Like I would, I would see the headstone and I would cry and I would talk to her and I'd cry. But now when I go there, I smile, you know, I, I tell her stories about, you know, what her brother and sisters are doing. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's different. Grief takes a different, a, a, a different turn, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Fallon had a purpose uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure of that, you know, I'm sure her purpose was to uh, shed some light on this, this terrible unknown disease yeah. uh, con condition. I don't even know if you want to, it is a disease, but I guess uh, it's more of a, a condition. More of a medical condition. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's super, super rare. Uh, it's like a one in a million. Um, so it, it's insane. And I, I think that was, you know, her, her goal, her purpose here was to help people see this. And maybe, you know, you know, my wife and I are very active with raising money for the uh, ACDA, the association, and um, trying to get research grants and figure this yeah. thing out. And, and, you know, right now, there's really no cure for it other than a full lung transplant, um, which is, you know, 
tough to. It's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. especially with a newborn baby. I mean, I don't know. It's hard. <clears throat> Even if you needed to try, I, I, I have to imagine how complicated it would be to find a set of logs. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, what, what, what a world to unpack. So now when you think about it, since it's been eight years and, and you, and I, and I see you number one with your, your, I would call it the midlife crisis, Jeep Cherokee or not Jeep Wrangler. Jeep Wrangler. Yeah, everybody has a Jeep Wrangler. I myself make it a Bronco. It's I'm trying not to fall into the trap, but I love Do it. it. When you see yourself now, years later, and you see yourself like you just put a pool in with your kids. You are you are a barbecue king. Uh, you are at, when you are not at work, you are still actively out there rocking and rolling with all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you think about now continuing, because your kids are still young. Your kids are now like twelve. They're middle. You're you said middle school, right? Like they're. Yeah, my son is my oldest. He's 12. He's in middle school. And my daughter, Harper, she is in fifth grade. She's 10. And my daughter, Keaton, is six. So she's in first grade. So when you think think of the role model you're being now and the father you're being now, like when you think about now, as you sort of get older and the life lessons you want them to have when they think about it, like what are you hoping they're learning from, say, you and your wife and from you in particular. Say, what, are, what do you think they're learning from the way you're trying to be a dad in the house and you're approachable them and how they've sort of seen you navigate this entire experience? So everything's about balance, right? So I, I think I think it's a very, very good lesson to teach that dad works hard, right? Yeah. I don't just, you know, hang out and play video games and be their friend. Like I'm their dad and dad works hard. So like, uh, for example, I I don't hire a landscaper to cut my lawn or do my leaves and and stuff like that. I think it's important and not to knock anybody that does do that, but I don't do it because I think it's important for the kids to see dad out there mowing the lawn and dad with the leaf blower and the rake, putting the leaves in the trailer and taking them to the dumps. I think it's important for them to see that dad works hard. And, you know, I try to balance uh, working overtime. I don't work too much overtime where I don't see my kids, but I work a little bit overtime. So they know like, oh, dad's going to work on an extra day. Like, I think it's important, you know, and, you know, I'm not one of these dads too, that doesn't do dishes or any of that. stuff. Like my wife, my wife is gone for 10 hours, Monday through Friday. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm loading the dishwasher, emptying the dishwasher, I'm hand washing dishes, you know, I'm, I'm cleaning the house sometimes I'm, I'm doing stuff like that. I mean, laundry, not my forte. Cause I would just, just melt, not, I would just melt everything. My, my wife works all the time. So I'm not only, and not only am I cooking and cleaning, I'll do laundry. Like we, we've, we, we are, this is, I do think the modern dad, there's a fair share of household responsibilities in everybody's life yeah. in this world. So, yeah. and I think it's like, listen, you may, you can pick the ones you want to do not do. I choose to pay for a landscaper uh, partly because I have no place to put a lawnmower uh, right. So uh, everybody has their own. Like, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? I, I wouldn't yeah. mind mowing my lawn, but then I need to. There goes less. Now I'll have less lawn to mow if I actually had a shed. To right. Mow. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then I wouldn't need it. But I don't I, you know, I don't I don't enjoy it so much. Yeah. I don't mind it. It's just extra work. But then, you know, if I got uh, then I got to work an extra day of overtime or something to pay somebody to do it. Anyway. No, it totally so, is. And, and listen, it's and, an activity. And, and, and I think it's kids. important. I think the kids yeah. I think the kids watching because they they not only watch, but they come out and help. You know, my son, dad, can I drive the lawnmower today? Yeah. You know, because we have a little ride on tractor and, you know, um, can I help you rake the leaves? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my son's into taking the trailer full of leaves to the dumps. You know, going to the dumps is cool, I guess, as a kid, you know. Yeah, no, so, I, like, I, I Yeah, I I, know. I love that because I do think it's a it's a discipline. Sometimes we 
we're fortunate where we live on the North Shore up in Port Washington. And I think sometimes I we outsource to we outsource so many things. The kids yeah. are seeing me like when they see me in terms of me, and my wife working is like on a phone or a laptop and they don't really know what I'm doing. Like they right, during right, COVID, right. it's been fascinating because we've both been working from home. And when right. they were home out of school, they can see us doing what we're doing, which is positive or negatives. Cause then they sort of go, wait, this is, and I'm always like, you got to go to college, get an education, get a job. This is why you don't want to go to school today. You're going to be homeless. That's what happens. And then yeah. they're like, well, all you do is talk to people all day. I'm like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm typing yeah. and I'm facilitating and I'm making, I'm helping people do things. Right. And, and it's, and we're nowhere near me and my wife are both in advertising. We are not saving lives in any way, shape or form. Nothing we do is, is life-changing. So it's also an interesting, um, uh, when they're like, this is what you could do. I'm like, you yeah. can help. So it's a, it's a real world. Event. So uh, uh, when you think about then, uh, as we, I want to, oh, oh, there's so much, I appreciate all this conversation. I want to end yeah. on a positive note here. When you think about stuff you've done that you are super proud of this past week as a dad, I want to know what is the thing you've done this past week that you're like, I nailed it. I continue to nail it. And uh, this is just one more thing that this week I'm going to pat myself on the back and go, bingo, did it. Grilling. Yeah. I would say, I would say grilling. I, uh, I like to cook and, you know, because my wife doesn't get home till like six or after six, yeah. you know, she's not going to come home, walk in the door and just start cooking dinner. And then we eat it, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. So I usually start getting everything going before she gets home. But yeah, um, I made a couple steaks this week and, and, uh, last night I did a, uh, I did a flank steak on the Blackstone griddle in the backyard and it came out awesome and my son said dad that was the best steak you ever made and i overcooked it by a little bit but he no. said it was the best steak you ever made what is a blackstone griddle because i like to barbecue that was a new that was a new one so blackstone griddle it's just it's a big metal flat top i mean yeah. it's 36 inches so you can cook pancakes on it you can cook eggs you know, and you put vegetables. it on you just put it on top of your normal barbecue no this it's a separate it's got its own propane tank oh so I, I have a I have a, a standard Weber gas grill and I have the the big green egg uh, smoker which is really really cool and I, I've kind of gotten into uh, learning how to smoke different meats I guess that's what you do when you're in middle age right you're, I've said uh, listen what I said uh, to people uh, earlier in this episode I said I'm fascinated by your barbecuing you're not a one you're not a one machine barbecuer I knew you had no. two and now I'm like is this a third one he has I, yeah so I have three out back that are just lined yeah. up I got the the old standard gas grill. I got the the uh, charcoal smoker, and then I have the Blackstone flat top. The Blackstone flat top is really cool. It's a nonstick surface, and uh, you just uh, and it's naturally nonstick. You just you 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 kind of season it to make it yeah. nonstick, um, but it's just a big uh, iron surface. It's thirty six inches, and it, it uh, you, you just cook anything on it. So I mean, I, cow, cows and pigs across this country are going to run for their lives. That's do it. Not, yeah. Do not come near. Do not come near Bob's uh, Bob's fridge. Yeah, Bob, so I got, I got mad props on my on my steak last night, so I was pretty proud of that. It's uh, huge. I I, I I I have the envy envy of the barbecue crowd. I, I I try to do better, but I'm not there. I need to, Bob. Thank you so much for this. Uh, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you because I think it's important to share, and I think got we there's a. I'm hoping this helps a lot of people understand that there are ups and downs to all things in parenthood. Uh, and there's always a, uh, it's where I say life is a roller coaster. Every up is going to have a down. Every, you know, every down is going to have an up. Uh, but if we talk about it as men and as fathers, uh, we can help other people who are not sharing and suffering potentially and know that like it is not, 
Uh, there's beautiful things in parenting. It is also hard as shit and, and can be very difficult. So I thank you. I know I shed a number of tears uh, and I'm sure people Sorry. listening. Uh, no, I'm sure people listening will as well. And I think they should. Uh, they need to hear these kind of stories because it's uh, uh, it's how everybody, it's how as society, we all could be a little bit more compassionate in the way we de- in the way we deal with each other. Yeah, so, 100%. Uh, I 100% appreciate it. If you are, if you want to learn more about Bob and uh, the ACDA, ACDA uh, please follow him at Rob. Let me, pull, well, let me pull up your Instagram for a second. I'm going to, I'm going to tag you in my Instagram post, but before, if you want to pause, it's, it's brilling. Do I say it right? Do you say Briling or Brilling? Uh, well, it'd be B, Rilling, Bob. Oh, Bob, it's Rilling. About, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Rilling. Um, it's kind of like Thrilling without the TH. So it's, it's B, Rilling at 91. I'm going to post it on Instagram. I can't believe Bob. I was like, how do you say your last name? Brilling? It's I'm, <laughs> I swear I'm an idiot sometimes. It's funny. My, my interview prep was real good. I was writing down, wait, what's Bob's Instagram? But I appreciate this. I love it. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I think everybody listening to this uh, completely uh, is also going to be keeping Fallon's memory alive and, and hopefully giving you a lot more likes. And if this can help also drive some more traction and awareness for the charity, then yeah. that, that in itself is, is a good thing. So if anybody is listening, uh, please look up the ACDA. We're going to put more uh, in the notes of the show and stuff so we can get people out there knowing about it. And the ACDA has their own Facebook and uh, Instagram too. So you can look that up. Oh, I'll, I'll, have you, I'll have you send it to me and we'll make sure we tag okay. it. On. Yeah, tag it on there. That's great. I appreciate it. Listen, Bob, stay safe. Make coffee. I love your hat. Make coffee uh, great again. I didn't think coffee wasn't great. I went to, when, I don't know when coffee wasn't great, but I still love it. It's still great. Yeah. Well, not to plug a product. It's the Black Rifle Coffee Company, but. <laughs> oh, listen, I, listen, I, listen I, it's, it's, uh, it, it's still amazing. Okay. Listen, Bob, you're the best. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for having me. I, I, I actually wish we had more time. I could probably do this all day. Well, there's listen. Season season five will be coming up soon. We may be able be a re- to I'll be a repeat. I'll be a repeat know. guest <laughs> for people that are listening. This is Bob's potentially one of first Zoom calls he's ever had. So you this may I, I you may have you may be a burgeoning podcaster. You don't even know it. This is how it happens. Inf- Social media influencer. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's only the beginning. Quit my day job. You my know, night job. You, ne- you never know. You never know. You get addictive. Right, I'll talk to you later, brother. All right. Thank you. Bye.